0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. We kicked off a series a few weeks ago called Prepare, and we focused on growing to the next level in three specific areas and that is growing in Scripture, growing in prayer, and growing in availability. I believe that these are the fundamentals of our walk with God, that if we become strong in those things and prepare by investing in that relationship with God that when the storms and trials of life comes, that we will be able to live out of the overflow of the investment of those things so that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. That standard is that word that we've invested, that time we've invested, that prayer that we've invested. And so when things come, they may knock us down, but they don't knock us out, right? So we want to make sure that we keep on investing. And today we're going to talk about being available. So the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is True Availability. I was thinking this would be the perfect weekend to actually teach on availability because Memorial Day weekend should cause all of us to consider and pause and think about what true availability is, about someone saying, here I am. Send me, here I am, choose me. Here I am, I'm willing to go and do what no one else is willing to go and do. We can say, God, use me. We can say those things all day long. We can make those commitments in church. We can make those commitments in our prayer time. We can get inspired by a song or by a speaker and we can say, here I am, I'll go, Lord, send me. Just like when you hear the missionary speak at church and everybody wants to be a missionary after you hear those great stories. But oftentimes we get lost And the shuffle of the glitz and the glamour that comes around this whole idea of being used by God. Being used by God has nothing to do with satisfying your need for attention. Being used by God has nothing to do with seeking out affirmation from other people. Being used by God has nothing to do with some sort of spiritual competition where we try to outdo one another to see at the end of the day who truly is the most spiritual being available for the kingdom of God is you recognizing your role and then you recognizing God's role. So what is your role? What is God's role? I think that oftentimes in our culture, we believe that our role is to be the person that calls the shots. We want to be the person who's in charge, making the decisions. We want to be the person who gets the attention. We want to be the person who gets the reward. And we think that it's our job to do that. But God's role is the one who gets the attention and gets the glory because God is the owner. You and I are called to be stewards, not owners. Oftentimes we get this idea that it's our job to own everything and accumulate and amass for ourselves as much of something as we can in order to gain whatever it is that we feel that we're lacking or seeking in life. We think that that comes through maybe getting a lot of likes on Facebook, Maybe we put that really sharp post out there. I mean, maybe it wasn't the one you came up with necessarily, but someone else said it. You changed a few words, added your own little tweak, and you are checking every 30 minutes to see how many likes you got because you thought it was pretty slick. Or maybe you found this video that someone else saw and you wanted to be the first to get it out there and you're regularly checking back to see has enough people like this in order for me to feel good about myself. Or has someone retweeted that thing that I put out there? And it makes you feel somewhat accomplished. We're looking for attention. We're looking for significance. So we think that if we climb the corporate ladder of success... And that we make it to the top and we have a certain income amount, or we have a certain parking space, or we live in a certain neighborhood. We think that's the idea of success in our minds, and we chase after that. And if I can just get there, if I can just have these things or be able to take those kinds of vacations that I hear about my neighbors taking. And I think that if I can accumulate all these things and all of a sudden I have gained significance, all of a sudden I have become important. Maybe it's my title. Maybe it's others' opinions of me in my circle of friends or in the community. And all of a sudden now, I'm important. We think that that's the goal. And so we'll often chase after those things because we think, if I can have these things, if I can own these things, then I will matter. I will be valuable. No, God is the owner. God gets the attention. God gets the glory. You are called to steward, not to own. Everything in this earth belongs to the Lord. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 26, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Think about that for just a minute. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You and I are not called to be owners because when we're looking at ourselves as owners, we're trying to build our own kingdom. We're trying to build our own monument to ourselves. We're trying to make sure that they know our name. And isn't that the way that it goes in our culture today? Everybody's got a YouTube channel. Everybody is trying to sing or, or, or put out something that will attract attention. And so people go to ridiculous lengths to try to attract attention so that they can have subscribers and followers. Because really to them that equals significance. That equals value. And we see this so many times in our world. I remember when I went to Nashville, Tennessee for the very first time, the music mecca of the world, really. And I went downtown, and we were going to eat at an Italian restaurant someone had recommended, and we were walking through the streets of downtown Nashville, and on every corner, there's somebody singing, somebody playing a guitar, there's somebody hoping that they get discovered, hoping that perhaps that record producer is going to eat lunch or eat dinner at a nice restaurant. And perhaps they might catch a glimpse of me and think that I have the right look. Or maybe they'll be an earshot of my vocal talents or my ability to play the guitar or whatever. That was on every single corner. Somebody just trying to grab someone's attention to say, look at me, I matter, I'm significant. And oftentimes that's exactly what we do in our world, in our lives, because we're looking for value. We're looking for someone to say we matter. Well, God said that you matter because he paid a price for you and he paid a price for me. Every one of us can equate value to something based on how much it costs. I'm not gonna leave my motorcycle sitting outside during a Wisconsin winter. I'm going to put it in the garage because that costs a lot of money and it's still costing a lot of money (laughs) because HD stands for hundreds of dollars, not Harley Davidson. (laughs) I put that thing away because I want to protect it. Why? Because I paid a lot of money for it because it has a lot of value because I was willing to pay the price for it. I'm still paying the price, but you... And I can know that we matter to God, not because of what we do, not because of how talented we are, not because of how well we can sing or preach or how eloquent we wax when we pray and how impressive our prayers may sound, not because of how long we've been in church, not because of how ethical and moral that we strive to be, but the only way we can know we're valuable to God is not based on what we do, but it's based on the price that was paid for us. And that price was predetermined before you could ever have a chance to try to impress God. He made the decision to purchase you before you ever had a say-so in the matter. He said, here's what you're worth, here's what I'm willing to pay, are you willing to receive the gift? And the price that he paid was the life of his son. He said, this is what you're worth to me. I want to buy you back from your own sinfulness, from your own wretchedness. I want to buy you back from the very thing that has disconnected and put distance between us and God. And he said only Jesus could do it, and it cost Jesus everything. The Bible says no greater love has a man than this, than he'd be willing to give his life for his friends. So this idea that we're the owner, we've got to cast that aside. And we need to recognize our role And our role is one of a steward. Now, God has blessed us with things. He's blessed us with jobs where we earn money. He's blessed us with our children or our families. He's blessed us with positions of influence within the circle of friends that he has given us. Or perhaps he's given us a certain uh, measure of influence in society because of the position that we're in. And because of the influence that he's given us. All of those things belong to him, not you. Amen, somebody. Because here's the news. Listen up. Headlines. You own nothing. You own nothing. And if we understand we own nothing, then we understand what it truly means to say, God, everything I have, everything I am belongs to you. If I think I own something, then I don't get that idea because I think only God can have this portion. And I don't truly believe that God is the owner of everything. And I'll selfishly withhold certain things or certain portions of my life from God, and so I don't truly get the concept or the idea of being available. I think being available means being popular in the eyes of other Christians. I think being available means that other people can be aware of how talented and gifted and good that I am so that I can amass some type of following and I can be some sort of big fish in a little pond type celebrity. And that's what some people have an idea of being available, and being used by God is. That is not our role. God is not interested in our popularity or how well liked we are. God's glory is reserved for Him and Him alone. Amen, somebody? It's reserved for Him. It's not something that He shares with us to where we get a little bit of it. No, it all belongs to Him because He's the only one worthy of it. You're not worthy of it. I'm not worthy of it. I don't care how good of a pastor you think I am. I don't care how wonderful of a person you think I am. And I hope you think I'm wonderful. (laughs) But even if you don't, it doesn't matter in the eyes of God. Amen? Because God says, you're just as valuable as Pastor Derek. You're just as valuable as Billy Graham. You're just as valuable as the person who's in the third world country suffering today. And who's persecuted because of their faith? You're all worth the same to me because he says I paid the same price for you all, for God. So love the world, amen? amen? That he gave his only begotten son. We all cost the same. And so he's the only one worthy of us truly understanding that type of life where we're serving him by saying, Here I am, I'm available, use me. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Isaiah the 42nd chapter, Isaiah 42. We're going to look at the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 42 God said some very difficult things to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had a really fun job of getting to speak on behalf of God to his people, and he had to say some really tough stuff. And here's one of the things that Isaiah shared with the people in Isaiah 42. Let's look at verse 8. God said, I am the Lord. That's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor do I give my praise to carved idols. All these things that we make with our hands, all these things that we create, all of these things that we think are so important, God says, I'm not going to share my glory with that carved idol. I'm not going to share my glory with you. He said, I am the Lord. That's my name. He said, and all the glory is reserved me. Because God's glory is for him and him alone. And he's not interested in elevating your popularity. He's not interested in someone going, oh, yeah, that person's so cool. Look at what they can do. No, anything good that comes out of me should point people to Jesus. Because it truly shows that God can use anyone. That he can take the person who everyone wrote off and everybody said... Yeah, it's over for that guy or that gal. There's no hope for them. God loves to take those people to where we say it's impossible for that person to be anything other than what they are. And he takes them and he breaks them and then begins to mold them and shape them. And then he begins to show his glory through them. And you go, wow, who would have ever thought God would ever use a person like that? Amen, somebody? We have this idea that everybody has to be perfect and have everything together. In order to be used by God and be available for God. No, God loves broken people. God loves to take our brokenness and show his power through through our brokenness. He loves to show off his love and his mercy and his grace through you. He's not looking to beat you up over the head. Instead, he's looking to say, will you recognize that I'm the owner, you're the steward? Let me do my job and you need to serve and do yours and let my glory show through your life. And if we recognize that and we can tune our heart to that through the preaching of the Word, through the applying of that Word, through the study of Scripture, through spending time in prayer, through spending time with Him, through recognizing, because I think we go through these little incremental seasons of life where we begin to recognize little by little more and more that we truly aren't the owner. It's not my time. It's not my checkbook. It's not my car. It's not my house. It's, wow, God, you've given me these things to steward. Am I doing that in a way that's bringing you glory? We don't give money here at Word of Grace just to keep the lights on and to support some missionaries. The reason that we uh, give financially here at Word of Grace is because it's one of the ways, one of the ways God has instructed us in Scripture to tune our hearts to generosity and recognize nothing I have is mine, but I recognize it's yours, so therefore I give it to you as an act of surrender and worship. That's why we give. So if you have this idea that giving is somehow some type of Old Testament thing that's done away with, no, giving has a lot to do with your heart because Luke 12 and 34, Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So he says, are you truly investing? Are you truly allowing the work of God to happen in your heart to where even the thing that you covet the most, you would begin to release and say, God, I'm just a steward, not an owner. God, I'm just a steward, not an owner. I remember a buddy of mine pastor a friend of mine in town, his car was going to be in the shop, and uh, he told me, he said, man, uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, it's too cold to ride my little moped, he has a moped, God bless him, his little moped, grown man riding his moped around, but oh, if that's you, I just pray for you, no, I'm kidding, it's, it, it's, it's cool, not near as much work as a Harley, but... <laughs> But, but he, he said, I, it's too cold to ride my moped around. He said, I, man, I don't know how I'm going to get around. I said, well, I have two vehicles. I said, you can, you can use one of mine. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. I said, hey, man. I said, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. Yeah, I, I can enjoy it. And I thank God that I can enjoy it. But I recognize this stuff isn't mine. It's God's. And I want to make sure that anything that he's blessed with me with, that I recognize that I can glorify him through it. Amen? Amen, somebody. God is more interested in your obedience and your faithfulness than he is in your popularity. God is more interested in the fact that you would say, here I am, Lord, send me, help me be faithful in the season where you've called me, regardless if it's going the way that I want it to or not. There's a story in Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where the prophet Samuel goes to King Saul. He was the very first king over Israel. And he says, listen, there's this wicked group of people and you need to take the armies of Israel and just go wipe them out. Don't take any spoils of war. Don't go and take any of the cattle or the riches or the gold or anything back. Don't leave anybody alive. You need to go and wipe these people out. This is a wicked group of people. And he says, okay, we're going to go do it. And they go to battle. But then after they began to look around, they said, man, we don't want to waste all this good stuff. Maybe we could compromise with God. Because God really likes sacrifices, right? It's like a heavenly barbecue. It's like God goes, who's making that sacrifice down there? That smells good. And that's King Saul's idea that I'm going to meet in the middle with God. And so instead of obeying, instead of being faithful, what Saul chooses to do is he saves the very best of the bulls and the sheep and all of the different animals that they were going to offer sacrifices, as well as taking some of the more choice things there. But we're going to give God some of it, too, to try to pacify him. And so here's Saul taking these spoils of war back, and he begins to offer sacrifices. And the prophet Samuel comes along after they've returned from war, and he goes, what is this bleeding of these different animals that i'm hearing i'm hearing i'm hearing a sheep bleed over here what's going on i'm hearing this animal cry like that's the sound i normally hear when there's sacrifice happening but there wouldn't be a sacrifice happening surely because i mean you went and did what god said right you went and obliterated everybody and didn't bring anything back and saul said well kind of i mean we really did get rid of all of it except we thought it'd be good to keep some of the better things for God because we know that He really likes this stuff. And then Saul, Samuel said, Saul, do you think that God delights in sacrifices? Do you think that He delights in the smell of a burnt offering? He said, No. He said, To obey is better than sacrifice. He said, He wanted your obedience. That was the whole purpose of sacrifice, anyways was to show that we trusted God because if I trust Him, I'm going to obey Him. Even if what He's asking me to do doesn't make sense at the moment, I'm I'm going to obey Him because I trust Him. And he was saying, Saul, you can't lead anymore because you're not trusting and obeying God. You're rejecting Him by your disobedience, by thinking that this was somehow your decision to make, that this is your kingdom to build. You're a steward, not an owner. A steward executes the will of the owner based on the owner's wishes. So what is God willing you and me to do? And he's saying, listen, this is for me. It's for my glory, so do it my way. Because being available to God means being faithful and obedient no matter what the cost is. No matter the cost. We're going to go to a portion of Scripture that if you read it in context is going to really challenge you this morning. So go to Isaiah chapter 6. Everybody romanticizes this portion of Scripture in Isaiah 6 because this is where the prophet Isaiah receives his call from the Lord to give his life to the Lord as, uh, as a minister, as a prophet, as a voice, as a mouthpiece of God. And he has this vision. And it's a really weird vision, but he has a vision nonetheless And God is looking for somebody who will go and speak on his behalf. And here's the story of that encounter in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the whole house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and he had in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips." Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah, he said, I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. And that's normally where we stop. And we make t-shirts that say, Here I am, Lord, send me. We make bumper stickers that say, Here I am, Lord, send me. We write songs about, Here I am, Lord, send me. But what about the other portion of the scripture? What did he send him to do? Let's check out the rest of this. Go and say to this people. This is the message you're going to share. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then Isaiah asked the logical question. How long is this going to happen, Lord? Because uh, I just said, here I am. I just said, sign me up. But how long is this going to last? And then God said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Man, that's a tough little section of scripture there. Here's God saying, I'm looking for someone who will go on my behalf and be a mouthpiece. Is there anyone? And Isaiah says, Here I am, Lord, send me. He says, Okay, I want you to go and preach this message your entire life, and people aren't going to listen to you. They're not going to hear you, but I want you to dedicate your life to this. Uh, how long is this going to last, God? It's going to be a while, is what God said. It's going to be a while. You see, God didn't give Isaiah any glimmer of hope that there's going to be one person that you're going to reach, though, and that one person's going to be worth it. He said, no, are you still willing to go be obedient after I told you? This is going to be tough. This is going to be hard. I mean, I get the benefit of preaching every week to people who love to listen. Amen. And thank you. <laughs> Gold star for you, sir. (laughs) Isaiah didn't have that privilege. When Isaiah rode into town, they said, Oh boy, here comes Isaiah. He's probably going to be rambling about something weird that we don't understand. Thus saith the Lord, here he comes. They probably mocked him, probably ridiculed him, they probably despised his very presence because God said they would. (laughs) God said, they're not going to listen to you, bud, but keep on speaking. Keep on saying what I tell you to say. They're going to have a hard time understanding. But what Isaiah didn't hear in that instance from God, what God didn't say was... Isaiah, because of your faithfulness to proclaim my word and to say what I tell you to say and to do what I tell you to do, there's going to come in just a few hundred years the promised, prophesied Messiah who is going to redeem all of mankind and people are going to know that it's him because of the words that I give you to speak to people. He didn't tell him that, but that's what happened. He didn't tell him that his investment was going to be something that was going to impact lives and show a people the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. He didn't tell him that. He just said, will you go? He didn't romanticize it. He didn't incentivize. He just said, are you willing? I'm looking for somebody to go be a mouthpiece. Somebody who truly understands giving their life as a living sacrifice and being obedient no matter what the cost. Is there anybody out there? here I am Lord send me when I first interviewed here at Word of Grace in December of 2011 one of the number one questions that a lot of the church members asked me how are you gonna make it in the winter (laughs) like there's like this demonic presence that just manifests during the winter Yeah, it's really nice here in the summer and the fall, but how are you going to make the winter? (laughs) Everyone wanted to know how skilled I would be at being able to go to a hardware store and picking up a shovel. Everyone was curious to how difficult it would be for me to go to a clothing store and buy a nice jacket or a winter coat once. Everybody was curious to see if the heater in my car works. Because they can do those things and they wanted to know if I could make it. And this was my response. I told everybody, every time I was asked that question, I would say, Listen, I'm not conveniently called. It doesn't matter where God calls you. We have this idea that the calling of God means that everything goes my way. Guess what? Everything doesn't go your way. Sometimes you get called to a place where they have ridiculously cold temperatures. And you say, God, how long? And he says, it's going to be a while. (laughs) But at the same time, you adjust, you survive. Guess what I did? My very first winter here, I spent two hours shoveling my driveway, something I had never done in my life was shovel snow from my driveway. I grew up in the South. I'd never seen this much snow at all. When it would snow like two inches in Arkansas, you can't find milk or bread anywhere and there's 50 cars in the ditch and the schools let out. I remember the first time it snowed here, I said, well, why aren't they letting out of school? I got to go get my kids. They're like, what are you kidding? We're not letting the kids out of school. It's just a little bit of snow. Wow, what do we do? I went to the store and I saw there was milk and there was bread and I was confused. Or at least there were some hard rolls. But one of the things that I did was I shoveled two hours, and then those wonderful snow plows came by and (laughs) threw snow right in my way as I was about to get in my minivan to leave. But that minivan was paid for, and I had had it many years. It was on its last leg, so I decided to make a battering ram out of the back of my minivan. And I put a video on the Internet about four years ago, if any of you care to go and watch it, where I put my van in reverse, and boom! And there's a nice little custom feature on the back of my van that is on no other van like mine that came from the dent that the snow put in there from the force. But you adjust. You figure it out, right? Because we're not conveniently called. Did anyone ask that person who is a missionary in a persecuted third world country, hey, how are you going to handle eating rice and beans every day and having your life threatened every day, you know, I mean, is that okay with you? You comfortable with that? Is that cool with you, sleeping on the ground? Th- that okay? I mean, God doesn't call you to sunny with a high of 75. If you do, then God bless you for that, whatever. But there's going to be trials. There's going to be challenges. It doesn't matter where you go. And it's not... God do all of the things meet my criteria of what I want to enjoy in order for me to accept this calling in order for me to say here I am Lord send me in order for me to say yes I'll go Lord or is the calling of God something that transcends my will and it's his will and not mine. And I have to trust that wherever He calls me, in whatever circumstance He calls me, that He's going to give me the grace to be able to adjust and to do what He's called me to do in that place. Amen? It doesn't matter. That, just like that place that you work that doesn't have a Christian boss, that doesn't have a nice boss, maybe your boss is a jerk, and you dread going to work next week, and you hate that I'm even talking about it because church is your happy place, and you're like, you're in my space right now making me think about my boss have you paused to think has god called you to be there and the reason that that person is a jerk is because they're reacting out of their woundedness and perhaps you are there to help minister love and grace to them have you paused to ask am i called here not is it convenient not does it make sense Not, is it everything I've ever wanted? Because if you submit to the will of God, then you can recognize this is where God wants me. Now you need to say, God, help me to have the grace that you want to give me to be able to be in somewhere that may not be the easiest thing to do or the easiest place to be. I remember a story about a pastor friend who was in a church that had a lot of dysfunction. The church ended up closing its doors. The pastor thus losing His job and needing to go do something. He had some managerial experience and so he picked up a job managing a Taco Bell. This guy was a pastor of a church, just had some dysfunction happen, and now the church is no more and he's managing Taco Bell. About two years into it, he had a conversation with God where he was very angry with the Lord, wondering, When am I going to be a pastor of a church again? He's feeling insignificant. His very identity is being threatened at the core and he doesn't know what to do and he's angry at God because he's tired of putting this meat in tacos and saying, have a nice day. He's tired of dealing with the people. He's tired of dealing with all of the stresses that come with managing a fast food chain. And he told God, I need to be in ministry. I am called to be a pastor. And God told him, what business of yours is it if I call you to pastor Taco Bell? Sometimes we miss calling because we glamorize it, and we think it's some type of celebrity deal where we're all signing autographs, where people look at us and pat us on the back. And we think that ministry is something that is reserved for people that are standing on a stage speaking to people, and so we just think, I guess I'll just let them do it. No, every one of you has a purpose and a call. Every one of you has something God has created you for that He wants you to do to be used for His glory. He's just looking for people that are available. Not when it's convenient. Sometimes when it's the most inconvenient. He's just looking for people who will go, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, uh, Give me the mission details, Lord. Uh, It doesn't matter because I am not the owner of my life. I am not the owner of my time. I'm not the owner of the, the, the things that you want me to do. It's your will, not my will. Amen, somebody. Would you be willing to do what God called you to do even if you didn't see the results you wanted to see? Even if you didn't see it in your lifetime, would you keep investing and being faithful and being obedient and keeping your hand steady to that plow moving forward if you never saw that harvest? Would you keep doing it? That's what God was saying when he was calling Isaiah because true availability is being a living sacrifice for God. That's what true availability is. It's recognizing I am called to be a living sacrifice. Just like Romans 12 and verse 1. He said, I beseech you therefore brethren. Paul said that to the Romans. He said, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you on behalf of the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. It's your reasonable act of service. He said, and don't be conformed. To the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is holy and acceptable and is the perfect will of God. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is normally something that's dead, right? So to be a living sacrifice means that I have to be dead to myself, dead to selfishness that would want to drive my life, that would want to be the driving engine of my decisions. Selfishness that would drive our culture. Selfishness that would always seek the spotlight. Selfishness that would seek that popularity. Selfishness that would seek that acceptance by others. Selfishness that would want to be raised up on the platform. Selfishness that would say, what can I get out of this relationship? Selfishness that would say, how can this benefit me? What's in it for me? But being a living sacrifice says, what's in it for God? How can I promote His agenda? How can my life be a testimony of His grace and the work of the cross that Jesus has done in my life? How can I live my life and steward the things He's given me in a way that would bring Him glory? In a way that would point people to Jesus instead of pointing them to me, point them to Him. Because God's the only one that's worthy of that kind of sacrifice. Amen? He's the only one that's worthy. Nobody else is worth that type of love, devotion, and sacrifice. So so as we talk about being available, I guess my intent today was really to help us to understand how we can be available no matter what the personal cost and to kind of debunk this whole idea that we've bought into of being available for God just being this glamorous thing that we think is something that's going to fill some void where people will finally recognize how important or special that we are. No, it's where we receive that value from Jesus alone, and then out of that value, we live a life of sacrifice to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. Being available no matter the cost because God is worthy, that's what we're called to do. That's what the men and women who gave their lives so we can enjoy our freedoms, understood. They didn't sign up and enlist in order to get a shrine built to them. They didn't sign up and enlist because they wanted to make the focus of the military all about them. No, they signed up and they enlisted and they gave their lives because they understood that that was what was necessary, that the risk was going to be worth the reward even if they didn't never shake the hand of the person that perhaps they died so that that individual could enjoy their freedom. Because they understand it's not about them. They understand it's about a cause much greater than any individual. And that's what we as believers need to understand when it comes to being a living sacrifice, when it comes to being available. So what are you avoiding that God is calling you to? What are you avoiding What's God knocking on the door of your heart, maybe right even now, that you've been avoiding? What's that thing that He's been wanting you to step up in or perhaps stay in or perhaps transition out of or transition into? What's the thing that God's been knocking on the door of your heart or maybe He's knocking right now? What have you been walking away from or avoiding or or sitting there squirming in your chair because you know what God's speaking to you? For us to grow to the next level in our availability, We need to say, here I am, Lord, use me. No matter the conditions, no matter my comfort, no matter the cost, because I recognize I'm bought with a price, and I belong to you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.